0: This is an ABC podcast. Resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. No electricity, nothing whatsoever.
1: We need to be prepared for the future.
0: I'm just holding on for daylight life here. This isn't fun. Pacific prepared.
2: Pacific prepared.
0: Plan this time before disaster strikes. Every natural disaster gets worse.
2: What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it?
0: And make sure everyone's safety comes first. Save what for dream. You must ready.
2: Clearing roads. Restoring critical infrastructure.
0: Eventually I know it's gonna hit. It's only a matter of timing.
1: Helping your community.
0: Helping your family. Helping you. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared.
3: Hi, I'm Fred Hooper and this is Pacific Prepared. It's a show all about natural disasters, climate change and traditional knowledge and how those things are all connected. And you'll hear about that through stories from right across the Pacific. Each week we work with local reporters. They're on the ground letting us know what's happening in this space and what people want to hear about. On today's show, the Samoan weather station that's been around for over a 100 years and how the weather service is making their messages more practical and easy to understand also we'll take a look back at a story from fiji and how a village is attempting to reclaim land lost to rising sea levels and we'll check in with the pacific weather service ahead of the upcoming cyclone season that's all coming up this is pacific prepared the time to prepare is now not right before an emergency
0: no electricity nothing whatsoever You are listening to Pacific Prepared.
3: Imagine if you stood in one place for a 100 years and your job was to check the weather. Imagine the different types of weather that you would have seen over that time. Cyclones, floods, tsunamis, year after year. Just out of the Samoan capital of Apia, Right at the end of the Mulinu'u Peninsula, there's a small white box sitting on a single post. It's got a little pitched roof, and one of the sides opens downward. It kind of looks like a letterbox, but it's not. It's actually a weather station, and it's been in the same location for over a 100 years. I mean, the box house has had a few changes and repairs, but it's in the same spot. And this weather station is still used today.
2: Uh, for example, this one. Uh,
3: this is Luteru. He's from the Weather Service in Samoa. He opens the door on the side of the white box. He reaches inside and takes out basically what looks like a long thermometer.
2: It's close to thirty degrees now. Okay. Uh, this is the maximum temperature for this today. Okay. Yeah.
3: So the um, the box that we're talking about sort of looks like a I guess like a letterbox really, doesn't it? With a with a, one of the sides comes down and. You know, what'll be like a m- meter and a half off the ground, roughly, yeah, and it's sure. a, a little little house, isn't it? Really, for it? <laughs> and, and inside you've got looks like a series of what do you call those, yeah. like gauges or? Um,
2: this is a maximum uh, uh, thermometer. You can know mm-hmm. the the maximum temperature of uh, of today, right. oh. and this is a mid, uh, minimum temperature. Okay. So you can know the. Uh, the uh, coldest. the the coldest temperature of uh, not uh, maybe it was in the morning.
3: Yeah. So, what what was that out of interest? Can we have a look at that one? See what the coldest temperature was.
2: But see, you see twenty five here and it was twenty six. It's around. You see the fin, uh It's a mercury. Uh, it's um, inside. So it's around twenty six here. Oh, yeah. You can see. Eh? Then, for example, this one. This one, you can move. For example, this one you see the silver. Oh yeah. In the middle, so it's close to thirty, so around thirty mm-hmm. degrees. This is the maximum. Okay. And that was the minimum.
3: Right. Mm. So how long has this box actually been in this location for?
2: The the location is more than hundred years. To, mm. But we changed the box. Um, uh, this was not the box. This is not the box from 100 years ago, so right. we changed. Yeah. And, and most likely we, we need to change the box again. Okay. Uh, yeah. We need to have a new, uh, new box.
3: Yeah. Recently, Pacific Prepared spoke with the Samoan Weather Service to see how the service has changed and how they're trying to simplify their messages. My name is uh, Lutero Tawalei. Uh,
2: I'm Currently in charge of the uh, meteorological uh, office of Samoa, we call it the uh, Samoa uh, Meteorology Division. So I'm in charge of uh, all the work of uh, you know meteorology, geoscience, and also related uh, work here in Samoa. Uh, when we talk about the meteorology terminology, you know it's always science. Uh, uh, terminology is very difficult, and people are saying it's very technical. And we uh, receive a lot of feedbacks from the, from the public, people of Samoa. We work, um, put a lot of efforts trying to uh, address this uh, issue. Um, We're being uh, involved with a lot of awareness programs, community-based awareness programs. So, we've been um, out uh, to the community, the community level, trying to collect uh, uh, information as much as possible. Uh, uh, A few years back, uh, we decided to develop a uh, Samoan glossary of of terms, uh, of meteorological terms. So, there is a uh, uh, glossary of terms, uh, which is due to be reviewed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's one of the the things that we try in just, uh in order for us to address the issue of uh, you know understanding the the terms uh, of the of the meteorology uh, language, uh, the, the language that uh, is being used by the meteorologists and the weather forecasters. Mm-hmm. Um, we also uh, now uh, we are currently in the process of developing a, a development of a uh, what we call the impact-based uh, forecasting with uh, warning system. So that's one of the, the ideas. Just trying to you know, collect uh, information from the end users uh, sectors, uh, especially the the, the sensitive uh, sectors. Uh, most vulnerable to the changes in the in, in the climate. So, so we are in the process of develop developing of our uh, impact based uh, uh, without uh, of us saying that what the weather will be. Uh, we, we tend to uh, uh, to work towards that uh, what the weather will do. Uh, impact based. so oh, we, yeah. that's one of the ideas uh, oh. and was of the new um, uh, uh, outcomes of all the, the meetings and discussion collaborations uh, trying to find a way trying to uh, simplify the information so instead of us saying that uh, the wind will be 50 knots for example, or 50 kilometers per hour, we will uh, add this piece of information uh, that uh, uh, f- trees will f- uh, fall down, or f- uh, things will start to, you know, uh, loose from, uh, you know, shelters, uh, impacts into shelters, uh, and without saying that the the uh, this amount of, uh, for example, 100 millimeters of rainfall. Uh, uh, instead of that, we can say that. Uh, uh, flooding is possible from this kind of rainfall. those kind of things yeah? okay. so that uh, people using this information will start to react to the impacts yeah? because some people no matter how uh, much we try to say 100 knots they will never understand what's that can yeah. do. So it's rather relay the impacts, uh, kind of uh, the associated impacts. Uh, for example, uh, uh, waves will reach this uh, area, coastal area, uh, flooding in this area, uh, 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 those yeah. kind of things.
1: Um, when you use uh, terms like vital elau and uh in weather information um, how do you simplify it you know for the people to understand and as well as the broadcasters
2: yeah that's um, that's one of the uh, you know it's part of the challenge of trying to understand the terminology. Yeah? you know that some more um, uh, each uh, village or each uh, district they have their own uh, local names for uh, for winds but uh, basically uh, how we see you know we name the winds according to the direction that is where is blowing from so what we try to do you know there's a different group which you know the 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 elders uh, 70 years upwards, they don't understand northeast, southeast. Uh, you know the 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 English names. I mean uh, the direction according to the, the compass. Eh? They understand it based on the traditional knowledge and uh, you know their belief. You know blowing from this time. So we are um, uh, well we are also incorporating uh, the traditional knowledge as part of... You know, when we put out information that, for example, wind for tomorrow is northeasterly winds uh, at, uh, of this strength. And, the, and then we bracket uh, after that, the traditional name of that uh, wind direction. So that's how we... Uh, um, the, the younger generation, they tend to... Uh, uh, uh understand the, the uh, geographic uh, locations uh, easily you know it's very hard for them to under- uh, understand and learn the, the traditional uh, names of uh, winds mm-hmm. so we are trying to incorporate you know not only the size but also the uh, traditional knowledge from the elders uh, into the... And that's part of the um, uh, impact-based forecasting that, that I just mentioned.
1: Uh, when cyclones comes in different categories, how do you uh, describe each category so that people may understand how serious these categories may affect them?
2: The World Meteorological Organization standard classification. Uh, it's basically classified according to the wind strength. You know the the new storm, the developing. Uh, that's category one, or you know, uh, it's around 34 knots. And as we move up, the the strongest is uh, category five. So that's how uh, we uh, classify according to the wind uh, wind strength. And uh, you know, the stronger the the, the the wind strength,
3: that's the the more impacts it get. Uh, can be uh, caused. Thanks to Pacific Prepared Reporter and Senior Journalist with Samoa National Radio 2AP, Maui Lutimose, for her help with that story from Samoa recently. We
1: need to be prepared for the future.
0: Helping you stay safe.
3: We have built a seawall two times, but it did no good.
2: What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it?
0: Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. Pacific prepared.
3: Pacific prepared.
0: Pacific prepared.
3: The sound of the tsunami alert was ringing out over Samoa recently. Luckily, it was a drill. It was a grey, overcast and slightly rainy day in Samoa. People were walking up roads toward the safer places, depending on where they were in the city of Apia. Each country has their own systems in place for tsunami drills and in the case of an incident. So the best thing to do is to check with your local disaster authority on what you and your family should be doing. I'm Fred Hooper and you're listening to Pacific Prepared. In a minute, we'll look back at a story from Tonga, and how music is helping to spread the message of climate change.
2: Disaster is part of our life, and recovering is also part of our life.
1: As you see, they're smiling despite the devastation. That's how we are.
3: You are listening to Pacific Prepare. Imagine trying to tell someone that your home was slowly disappearing or being destroyed by the impacts of climate change. But the person you're trying to tell doesn't even know where your home is and they've never seen it on the map.
4: The first thing is a lot of people don't know where Tonga is. Um, That's the most common one. The one that that shocks me is when when I say I'm from the Pacific and they don't know where the Pacific is.
3: It must feel like out of sight, out of mind. Mia Kami is a Tongan singer-songwriter, and she is constantly having these conversations. But Mia says the one thing that does cut through is music.
4: History It repeats itself if we don't tread carefully Music has always been a significant part of my life, but science never has been. And so um, I knew that going into this space, I can't go in as someone that's an expert on the science of climate issues and Pacific issues, but um, to to be more of a storyteller in this space rather than a scientist.
3: What sort of questions do you get then off the back of that Um, being someone from the Pacific in, say for example in New York or in in the States, what sort of questions do you get about, or do you get questions I suppose about climate change and what it's like in the Pacific because you've obviously spent so much time here
4: Well it's interesting because uh, first the first thing is a lot of people don't know where Tonga is Um, that's the most common one the one that that shocks me is when when I say I'm from the Pacific and they don't know where the Pacific is and I think that kind of Gives you an understanding of their of their understanding to climate change, and I feel like um, is that is that
3: common though to have that reaction? That where is the Pacific, or I don't know where that is.
4: Yeah, you'd be surprised. I mean, this past year, um, I've been able to attend a few conferences that are international, so there's a lot of countries um, that there are a lot of people from other countries that have never heard of the Pacific. Like I'll say I'm from Tonga, and they're like, where? And then I'll say the, you know, like the Pacific, they'll say, I don't know where that is. I said the Pacific Ocean, they're like, I don't know where that is. And then I have to be like Australia, New Zealand. They're like, oh, yes, yes, Australia, New Zealand. Then I say, yeah, we're like near that. And so I, I feel like that, that really does just give you an understanding of how they sort of gauge our existence, which I feel like contributes to that whole issue of the fact that a lot of people don't realize that climate change threatens our very existence. And the fact that they don't even know we exist in the first place makes it a lot harder, right? Yeah, so it's just really interesting when you go into certain spaces and you realize, like, we're fighting for our existence and these guys don't even know that we exist. The thing that I find comfort in, that I can contribute is uh, the fact that I can bring art into a space that's dominated by science. And I feel that's the best way that I can connect to people that haven't heard about us. Um, Because it's a way for them to hear our stories in a way that connects with everyone, no matter where you're from, yeah. no matter what language, like music, right so like I said, because I write and i and I sing these songs, I'm essentially telling our stories in a way that everyone will be able to understand right across the board um, and and it's and it goes further than just reaching you know the top of your head it's you're going deeper into the heart, the soul, because like I said, there's so much at risk for us it's not just a matter of like. You gotta work now so that we can. We'll be okay in like two years, nah. It's like our entire future is at stake, and so um, yeah, I feel like going into these spaces with my songs, my guitar, uh, has been a really powerful way to connect with people. And I'm I'm really lucky that I get to do that in the way that I do. If we fail, if we fail to be that change.
3: I'm Fred Hooper, and this is Pacific Prepared. In a moment, we'll take a look back at another story from earlier in 2023. A Fijian village reclaiming land lost to rising sea levels.
0: What's your plan? Are you ready to leave your home? Plan now before disaster strikes. Pacific prepared.
3: The entire community of Noloto village in Fiji is sitting on the floor in a large community hall. There's plates of food on the ground in front of them. And the community members are happy that the Fijian Broadcasting Corporation is there. They're happy because they want to share their story. But their story isn't quite as happy, so to speak. Walking through Nolato Village in Fiji, it's just really nice. There's lots of homes made from coloured corrugated iron and grey brick footings beneath them lots of palm trees, grassed areas, and pathways that connect all the homes and buildings. And it kind of follows the coast on the left hand side and to the right there's a really steep hill. And you can see the community hall sitting right up on top of that hill where we had lunch. But as we're walking along, you can also see something's just not quite right. The ground on the left hand side of the path is wet and muddy and there's crab holes they kind of pile up the dirt around their holes, probably about the size of a golf ball. The village headman is leading us through the village, explaining where the water gets to when the tides are right and how it's impacting their homes. It's hard to stop thinking about how nice the village is, but then you sort of feel uncomfortable being so close to the water, just metres from the homes. After we walk up the steep bank on the right-hand side that kind of divides the village in half... On the other side, we see something that shows what this community is willing to do to keep the rising sea levels away. Whereabouts are we at the moment where we're walking through here?
0: Uh, Thank you, Fred. We are currently in uh, Nalota village here in the province of Telev. It's it's, uh, probably a 45-minute drive from from the main city of Suva here in Fiji. So we're currently here at a place where they have been ravaged by the the effects of climate change. And this has been... uh, um, um, An issue they have been facing for the past two, three, four, uh, three decades. Mm. So, this uh, this village is one of the many villages in Fiji that that are earmarked for relocation. But according to the Turani Koro, he said the village preferred to just stay here and feel and try to fight these climate uh, uh, change issues. So most of the, the villages here, they've started off with their own initiative. That is by reclaiming the land, and this is an expensive. Uh, uh, this is an expensive uh, work they have to do, but they have no other choice in order for them to be safe, in order for their their children to be safe. They have to spend this large sum of money, and according to the Turangani Koro, or the village manager, he said that so far they've spent at around 30 to 40,000. That is to try and reclaim the land as they continue to fight against the climate change issues here in Naloto village.
3: They're so close to the water's edge, like we're sort of standing just on a path behind some houses at the moment, and then just past that, there's you can see where the the land's been reclaimed mm-hmm. by basically piling or well, pushing back dirt, basically earth, uh, back mm-hmm. to the to the land there.
0: So most of these uh, villages, they have no other places to get their earth or the soil from. Right. So the only the only place they can get it is just off their coast, which is just a few minute few meters away from where they are living. they, According to the, the village manager, the village headman, he said they had no other choice but to use this. But they managed to get some of the earth from the other island, but they've been told by the government not to use that. It's 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 actually one of the places where they get their food from. That's uh, the, most of the village they source their food from. So these villagers continue to do whatever it takes to help them be safe, at the same time ensure that... Uh, they continue to to fight against climate change.
3: How many people live here?
0: So Fred, there's about 208 villages that are currently living on this uh, village and uh, according to the the village headman, there's about 70 houses and most of these houses are right on the seaside where uh, they've they continue to, to feel the effects of climate change and so far according to the one of the villages he said that uh, they will continue with their fundraising this the other side the, the left side of the village they managed to raise thirty eight thousand, and they've gone they've done the work on that side trying to reclaim the land mm. and on the other side of the right side of the village They've managed to raise about $15,000 and they're working to do more fundraising in order to, to raise another 15000 and to be able to complete the whole work mm. in terms of reclaiming the land. Yeah.
3: Thanks to the Fijian Broadcasting Corporation for their assistance with this story and, of course, reporter Sanyani Boiler for her work with that story too.
2: People's lives have been affected by disaster.
0: Know what to do.
2: Know what to do.
0: Know what to do.
2: Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure.
0: See, all the signs are coming. So we have to prepare. Be prepared.
3: Pacific prepared. While Pacific prepared was in Samoa recently, we also checked in with the weather service to see what people might expect in this upcoming cyclone season.
2: Uh, we are heading into... The La Nino, uh, El Nino uh, event, uh, you might have heard El Nino and La Nina. La Nina always bring uh, uh, heavy rainfall. Uh, that's what we had in the last three years. Now it's uh, El Nino and we are expecting this uh, sim- uh, kind of very dry uh, uh, conditions. Mm-hmm.
1: We are getting closer to the wet season in Samoa, starting in November. Um, are we expecting El um, Niño during this time?
2: Yeah, we start to see some evidence of uh, what we call El uh, Niño. Uh, for example, the um, uh, limited amount of rainfall, and you know, theoretically. Uh, and our Nino you know, event. We are expecting a higher risk of uh, tropical cyclones to reach Samoa. So in the last three years, there was a land event, and we didn't expect, uh, a, uh, we didn't experience any cyclones, uh, but we uh, experienced a lot of flooding events. You know, now it's the opposite of that. The very dry conditions, but we are expecting. Um, a higher risk of uh, elevated risk of tropical cyclones. We haven't completed our our outlook for this wet season. Um, uh, create our outlook and see how uh, many cyclones we expect in the in
3: the upcoming wet season. Thanks to Pacific Prepared Reporter and Senior Journalist with Samoa National Radio 2AP, Maui Lutamose for her help with that story from Samoa recently. My name's Fred Hooper, and you're listening to Pacific Prepared.
0: I'm just holding on for dear life here. For women, it's always safety first. They are the first responder. You're listening to Pacific Prepared.
3: This show was made on the lands of the peoples of Sony Creek Nation in Lutruwita, Tasmania. Pacific Prepared is supported with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the Australian Government. It's produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific including Radio New Zealand Pacific, National Broadcasting Corporation of Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, Fijian Broadcasting Corporation, Samoa National Radio 2AP, Solomon Islands Broadcasting Corporation and Tonga Broadcasting Commission. If you're working on something that's directly related to this program, let us know because we'd love to tell everyone about it. Maybe you've got a story idea, a personal experience to share, a topic to cover or someone that you think we should meet. The easiest way to get in touch is to search for Pacific Prepared and then scroll down to the Connect with Pacific Prepared section. You can also listen back to the program if you just type Pacific prepared India search engine, then you'll find us. Part of the aim of this program is to start conversations about natural disasters climate change and how traditional knowledge links them all together my name's fred hooper please share any information that you've learned today and stay safe this has been pacific prepared